did you enjoy uh, that film that we saw earlier? I thought Luke and Steph did a, a great job in bringing to life the story of how Jesus stepped down from the meal table with his friends to perform that very menial task of washing their dirty and smelly feet. And as he gives us this example and tells us to go and do likewise, I expect that this provokes a variety of different responses in us. Perhaps some of us will be thinking that we're struggling just to cope with all that's going on and don't have the time or the headspace to begin worrying about the needs of others. And we certainly don't need to hear a list of ways we can serve in the church. At the opposite extreme, maybe some of us might be so busy meeting the needs of others that we're beginning to feel a bit overwhelmed by it all. Others of us perhaps are keen to help by serving others, but are not quite sure where to begin. Does Jesus literally want us to wash each other's feet? Or perhaps we're thinking, we're okay, we get it, we help out, we've got the balance about right. So is there anything more for us to learn here? And for me, this is a slightly daunting prospect, as I recognise that in Portswood Church, many of us already give so much time and energy serving in and through our own church fellowship, serving one another, our family, our friends, our neighbours, or perhaps serving through one of the, the many projects run by the churches in the city. What can we, what can I say on this subject that will be helpful? Now, fortunately, all wisdom comes from God. So let's take another look at that Bible passage which Luke read to us earlier. And if you're following it in your own Bible, then turn with me to John chapter 13. I'm going to look at verses 1 through to 17. I'm going to focus primarily just on the first verse. And we read... That before the feast of Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he would depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Here the author, John, is setting the scene, not just for this chapter, but indeed for the whole of the rest of the book and he sets that scene with three broad brush strokes. One, it was just before Passover. We're right into the middle of the story that shaped a nation, the nation of Israel, the story of how God had rescued and redeemed his chosen people out of slavery. And here John, taking his cue from Jesus, wants us to see how Jesus is applying this story to himself. The camera, as it were, zooms out and reveals that the rescue from Egypt foreshadows a much greater rescue, as Jesus becomes the ultimate rescuer and redeemer of all mankind. Two, the hour or the time had come. Jesus is approaching the climax and culmination of his life's work, ministry and mission. 
This is not something arbitrary. It's planned and purposeful. And the third brushstroke, he loved them, his own, to the end. Literally, to the uttermost. And there's a double play here, both the full extent of his love and also through to the end of his life. That unconditional and eternal love provides the basis for all that he does. There is nothing that love could not do for them that he does not do now. Expressed not only in performing the menial service of foot washing, but also in the parallel he draws to what this act symbolised. The final humiliation of his death upon the cross, by which spiritual cleansing was made possible. This is the context in which Jesus washes the feet of his friends as they sit for a meal together. And so how does this help us to understand what he is doing and what he is saying? Well, firstly, we have seen how Jesus has positioned himself in the context of God's grand rescue plan. As the disciples look back and remember the way in which God rescued Israel out of slavery in Egypt, Jesus is looking ahead to his death, his crucifixion, which will bring liberation for all of mankind from bondage to sin and death so that we would no longer be slaves to sin, as Paul puts it in his letter to the church in Rome. What does this freedom for us mean? Through this series, as we've been looking at different spiritual disciplines or practices, uh, we've been uh, referring to a book by Richard Foster called A Celebration of Discipline. And in there he writes that our freedom in the gospel does not mean license, but opportunity. Our freedom in the gospel does not mean license, but opportunity. Our freedom is not a license to do whatever we want, but it is an opportunity to grow into the person that God intends and desires for us to be, for us to become more like Jesus. We are no longer slaves to our own desires and passions. We do not need to let them shape the way we live or think or act. Instead, we become slaves to Christ as we dedicate ourselves to Jesus as our one and only master. Most of Paul's letters in the Bible begin by referring to himself as a servant of Christ Jesus. James and Jude, half-brothers of Jesus, both refer to themselves as Christ's bond servants. And the Apostle Peter called himself a servant and an apostle. Now in their culture, the culture of the time, a bond servant was someone who willingly gave themselves into service. And quite often this was a slave who had been granted their freedom, but who chose to remain with and continue to serve 
their master. And so I believe it's important to note here that we have been set free. Free so that we might choose to serve Jesus and those he calls us to serve, both freely and willingly. Since we are no longer in slavery, this should not be a burden. Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Perhaps reflecting what the psalmist said, serve the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful singing. Is this how our acts of service feel? Does the thought of this type of service cause excitement to bubble up inside us? And if not, perhaps we need to be asking, why not? Secondly, there is a right timing and a purpose. Jesus knew who he was, why he was doing the things he was doing, where he was going. He was secure in his identity. And it is from that place that he sets this example of service. But there's this huge elephant in the room. The disciples are concerned about status. They're not secure in their own identity. There's an unspoken jostling for position. Who's the greatest? Or rather, perhaps, what's really going on is that no one wants to be the least. No one wants to be at the bottom of the pile. No one wants to wash the feet. Perhaps Jesus found himself thinking back to an earlier incident when they were walking along the road and some of the disciples came forward looking for positions of prestige, of recognition, a special honour. Then they were being pretty open about it, whereas now at supper, there's an uncomfortable silence. Maybe the disciples are remembering the rebuke that Jesus gave them on that previous occasion. We read his response in Mark chapter 10, verse 42. Calling unto himself, Jesus said, You know that those who are recognised as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their great men exercise authority over them. But it is not this way among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be slave of all. Here in this earlier incident, we see that word slave again. The Greek word is doulos, carrying that idea of a bond servant, someone who has willingly bound themselves over into the service of another. It's not an enforced enslavement. It's a willing act of service. And here there's something we need to understand. We read that Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. 
Jesus is a free man, knowing who he is, why he has come and what the end of his journey will be. God, the Father, is with him and has given him authority and power to finish the work for which he has come. And it was in full knowledge of this that Jesus performed the washing of feet. Knowing this did not make him think he was above carrying out menial service. Knowing full well who he was, Jesus washed his disciples' feet. And so it is for us, knowing who we are, that, as Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, God predestined us to adoption as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ to himself. When we know this, we know that what we do can have purpose and meaning, however menial it may seem. And this then enables us to serve with joy and with gladness. And in serving, we are cultivating an attitude of humility, not thinking ourselves to be better than others. Jesus simply abolishes all worldly notions of hierarchies and pecking orders. We no longer need to worry about our place in such things because we are all equal before God. No one act of service is greater or lesser than any other. For Jesus, teaching and preaching, healing the sick, raising the dead or washing the dirty smelly feet of his friends was all one and the same, an act of love and humility. And that's our third point. It's all wrapped up in love. We read that he loved them to the end, to the utmost. And so we serve not out of duty, though there is a sense in which it is our duty, not because of any reward, though one day we will receive a reward from God, but because we love God and we are being filled with God's love for those around us. This was the summary which Jesus gave of the law and the commandments, that we should love God and love our neighbours, whom Jesus in another place defines as anyone who is in need. We love our neighbours as ourselves. In loving us, Jesus was prepared to do whatever was necessary. And so he asks us what we are prepared to do for him and for one another. And also in loving us, Jesus is setting a pattern for us to follow. In performing this act of service, Jesus is not just performing a menial yet necessary task. He is also using it as an opportunity to teach and demonstrate something to those who would love him and follow him. You should do likewise. The lesson is that for us, as for Jesus, we should be looking away from ourselves and towards the world that he loves so much 
and calls us to love too through our service. This is the place we ought to be, right where the needs of the world and the mission Jesus has given us come together. They meet. And we should be ready to take on a lowly or insignificant role if that's what God wants, or to be publicly visible if that is what he is calling us into. As with Jesus, the picture of foot washing is meant to serve not only as a picture of all sorts of menial tasks that we may be called upon to perform without drawing attention to them. It also points towards the much larger challenge, the challenge that Jesus issues to Peter right at the end of this Gospel of John. And it's the challenge to follow Jesus all the way to the cross, to lay down life itself in the service of God and the world he came to save. So as we begin to draw this to a close, let's try to tie it all together with some practical thoughts and suggestions. In this scene that we have been considering, Jesus was moving in a clear and deliberate direction. And some of the ways in which we serve can be like this. We engage with people, or perhaps through projects that serve people in a regular and committed way, perhaps week in and week out. And there are many such opportunities, not only in our individual lives, but in church life and across the city. We might be connected with or considering being connected with our supported charities or through Love Southampton, which provides a means by which churches working together can connect each of us. Those of us looking for opportunities to serve with the many and varied needs of people in our city and bringing God's good news to bear in those situations. But within the bigger picture, we see Jesus responding in the moment to a particular and immediate need. And as we connect with others across our church fellowship, in our families, with our neighbours, our walk colleagues, even as we walk along the street, we become aware of the needs of others. Are we always prepared to respond in this more spontaneous way as we become aware of a specific need. As we pray, perhaps we can be asking God to tune our hearts and our eyes more clearly into these needs and to help us overcome those barriers that might prevent us from responding. Note also that in giving us this pattern to follow, Jesus is using this menial yet necessary act of service as an opportunity to teach and demonstrate something to his friends. It's part of the process of discipleship. And for us also, serving can become, or is, or should be, part of that process of discipleship. On the one hand, we ourselves can be growing in humility, uh, and if it's not contradictory, in spiritual greatness, as we serve others. And our dependency on God can grow as we learn to serve in areas that take us outside, possibly even far beyond our comfort zones. But also, 
we can be asking how in serving we can be finding ways to disciple others. Are there opportunities for us to encourage others around us to go and do likewise, to pay it forward, perhaps? If there are opportunities to serve together, why not invite a friend, someone else along, and use this as a friend, use this as a means of helping them to grow and develop? Or perhaps we can look for ways in which to move to the bigger picture beyond the simple and immediate act. Can something that we do as an act of service be part of a process of encouraging the person, the individual being served, to take just a little bit more responsibility for themselves? Remember that if we always do something for someone else, they'll remain stunted and not grow. And I suggest that some of us are already too busy serving in one way or another. And we're thinking, how can we possibly do more? Well, it may be possible that we're in the right place for now. Or maybe, just perhaps, we're actually called to do less. For Jesus, the time had come to move from one stage of his mission and ministry and into another. And so is this a time for us to reflect before God on our life of service? How does what we've seen of the way in which Jesus lives out his life serving others play out in my life? Is the way in which I serve shaping my life as a follower of Jesus and helping me to grow in spiritual maturity? Sometimes we just need to make space for God to work in us. Back to Richard Foster and in his book, uh, A Celebration of Discipline, he positions service as the final one of the, so, of the four so-called inward disciplines, where we focus on looking inward and curating our inward life. And those four inward disciplines are silence, solitude, submission, service. And I find this to be helpful, both in grouping these practices together and in shaping a progression from one to the other. It helps me to gain a perspective on the way in which our service is intended to draw us closer to God, so that we grow into a life that is truly Jesus-shaped. So let's close with these words of an old prayer written by Ignatius of Loyola. Let's pray. Teach us, good Lord, to serve you as you deserve. To give and not to count the cost. To fight and not to heed the wounds. To toil and not to seek for rest, to labour, and not to seek for any reward, save that of knowing that we do your will. Amen.